0: Every day we're surrounded by advertisement, people appealing to us, urging us to purchase or accept some product, service, or even concept. Advertisement is everywhere. We find it in our mailboxes, on our computer screens, on television and radio commercials, printed in newspapers and magazines, and we encounter advertising agents as well who come along, they knock at our front door have something to tell us about. They ring our telephones. They're stationed at demonstration booths along life's way and even waving toothpick skewer delicacies at us in the grocery aisle from time to time. Now understand, I need to say this up front, I may be the least receptive person to advertising on the planet. I'm not claiming it's a personal strength, but someone starts advertising and my back stiffens and my blood runs cold and I'm looking for an exit. I will say that. But having said that, I would argue that we're all advertisers. In fact, I believe that there's so much advertisement in this world because we are made in the image of a God who is an advertiser. God is the ultimate advertising specialist he's not a marketer attempting to sell us anything of course but he is a master advertiser an earnest passionate sincere zealous even in your face champion of abundant life he speaks with loud voice
1: with earnest appeals to give us this life In full advertisement mode, what is he
0: promoting? He promotes the unparalleled cosmic value of wisdom. We have established that wisdom, in our studies here in Proverbs, is the ability to live with moral skill and keen discernment. The ability to see life from God's perspective and thus to live with a spiritual capacity to avoid moral disaster and to embrace abundant life. To know how to live in the midst of the trials and challenges and difficulties of life. To know how to live an abundant life. This is wisdom. And this, God continues to press upon us and promote to us in the book of Proverbs. With this understanding and view of what wisdom is, we come now to the third chapter and find an appeal to highly value and grasp wisdom. It's not a new appeal, as we know, as we come to this place, but chapter 3 and verse 13, where we pick up again today, chapter 3 and verse 13, the Father appeals to the Son, remembering the setting, the Father teaching His Son, and so in a very real sense, God our Father teaching, instructing us, The Father appeals to the Son to discern first of all the unparalleled worth of wisdom to us. The unparalleled worth of wisdom to us. Verse 13 and down through verse 18, we have a distinct, maybe a poem, but it's a distinct unit, and we find here God advertising the worth of wisdom. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. Here's his thesis statement in verse 13. Remember chapter 2? The Father teaches the Son to go hard after wisdom. He, He says this, Make your ear attentive to wisdom. Incline your heart to understanding. Call out for wisdom. Seek it like silver. Search for it as for hidden treasure. Go get it, Son. That's the appeal of chapter 2. That line of appeal now is followed here in 3.13 by a revelation of what the Father is pushing. Indeed, what God provides, an exquisite benefit to the Son. Going after wisdom is not simply listening to the Father, but it's going after life itself. As you go after this life, the Father teaches, you will be blessed. You'll be blessed. The Hebrew word could be translated happy. It certainly doesn't speak of giddy external emotionalism, but it is a deep seated happiness that comes. So the father's saying, My son, listen, find wisdom, get understanding, God's understanding, and you will find happiness. You will tap the wellspring of joy. This world is desperate to find that joy, it's in wisdom. Go get it, and you'll receive this blessed life. So my son, when I press you to embrace wisdom, I'm pressing you to pursue your own happiness. Do you remember, my son, what God did to Adam and Eve before sin spoiled their world? What did He do? He blessed them. He said, fill the world, multiply, and subdue this earth. I give you this earth as my vice-regent to run it, to enjoy it, to settle it, and to know one another and replenish this earth. I give it to you. I bless you in this way. And so now the Father says, Son, in like manner, God will pour out His blessing upon you as you get His wisdom. You will know deep and abiding joy if you grasp it and hold on to this understanding. Well, just in our journey through the book of Proverbs, we we stop here to ask again, because I think it's so important, well, how do you get it? How do you get wisdom? Ingenuity? Hard work? Lots of reading? Luck? Fortune? Good looks? Money? Purchase it? How How do you get it? In the book of Proverbs, we get wisdom by fearing God and receiving our Father's moral instruction. We get it by having, first of all, A reverence for God. With that reverence, then comes a willingness to receive His words and His counsel and to know how God sees life, how He perceives it. This is how we get wisdom by receiving it, by heeding the word of the Lord, not simply by reading books or going after it in our own way. But you do this, son. You get wisdom, you fear God. And you listen to His Word. And you you find this wisdom and your life will be blessed. There will be a happiness there. Really? I mean, why is that? Why is that the case? Verse 14, For the gain from her is better than gain from silver, and her profit better than gold. She is more precious than jewels, and nothing you desire can compare with her. That's quite an endorsement. And people die to get silver and gold and jewels to mine them out of the earth. And people kill to get them once they're out of the earth. They're very, very valuable. Wisdom is more valuable than that. You get it. You've got a hold of something that's of utmost worth. You know, Precious metals and precious gems, when you think about it, they really concentrate enormous wealth in a small space. You realize you can hold in the palm of your hand something like the Hope Diamond at the Smithsonian Institute in Washington, D.C. You can hold this diamond in your hand. It is worth, rough estimate, about 50 times the worth of this entire church property with all of the cars that are on it right now. You draw a line around everything that's on this place right now, probably all the money in our pockets as well, all of it 50 times the worth of all of that. You can hold it in the palm of your hand in the Hope Diamond. I wouldn't advise you try it. <laughs> it would be a little bit of trouble there, but but you could put your hand, put it in your hand and that much worth 50 times everything that's here. And you can put it in your pocket. It concentrates wealth. And God says to us, think of that diamond in your hand. Think of what you would hold there. Think of its worth, its value. Wisdom is more valuable than that. It's concentrated within your soul. And it can be there, this worth. And it will make your life blessed. It will, make, it will bring happiness to you in a unique way. Really? That valuable? I mean, let's admit it, every one of us in this assembly today struggles to believe that. We really do. I mean, wow, it, it, the jewel in my pocket was the ability to be a world-renowned musician, or athlete, or scholar you pick. Wisdom's more valuable than that. If the jewel in my pocket was to be fabulously rich, to never have to worry again, to have whatever I wanted whenever I asked for, if I really had it handed here to me in my hand and I could put that in my pocket, to never have to worry about money again, to have everything that I wanted, wisdom's More valuable than that? If I could have any man or woman I wanted whenever I wanted them? More valuable? If I could have perfect health and no trials of any kind, smooth sailing through the rest of my life? More valuable than that? It is. The Jewish proverb gets it right. It says, If you lack wisdom, what have you really acquired in this life? If you have wisdom, what do you lack? If you lack wisdom, what have you really acquired in this life? If you have wisdom, what do you lack? As Bruce Walkie puts it, money can put food on the table, but not fellowship around it. It can purchase a house, but not a home. It can give a woman jewelry, but not the love she really wants. Whatever you find in this world of value, it pales in comparison to wisdom. To the wisdom of God. The skill to live life according to His directives and the discernment to understand His thinking and apply it to this life. That is of utmost value. Without it, you really have nothing. Nothing that we desire in this world has more value than wisdom, counsels God. And the advertisement continues in verse 16. In fact, long life is in her right hand. In her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. Wisdom, of course, again, here is personified as having something, uh, being a a woman that has something in her hand. Back to chapter 1 and verse 20, as we saw wisdom standing there as a woman that's calling out and saying, Come to me. In her right hand, there is long life. Now in the Old Testament context, long life is not quite the same as longevity, living until you're really old. We have a tip to this idea in the response of Jacob in Egypt. Do you remember what he says to Pharaoh? Now understanding in Egypt, if you live to be 110 years old, that was sort of seen as that's really a full life, 110 Jacob comes before the pharaoh of Egypt and he says, "I've lived. he lives to 130. He's not there yet, of course, but he's lived 110. He's, he, he's going to live to 130 years of age. And what does he say? He says, few and evil have been the days and the years of my life. He's an old man. But he says, few have been the days of my life. They're not like my father's. In extent. He's not talking there simply about longevity. In the culture of the day, he'd lived a long and fulfilled life in one sense, but the point of it is the fulfilled part. Longevity is a good thing, and wisdom will help us live longer, certainly on some level, but long life here is less about the length of life and more about living a full life, living a real life that's alive. Long life, riches, honor, pleasantness, delightfulness, peace, the Hebrew shalom, a deep-seated well-being. This is not a promise of smooth sailing in life free from all troubles. You'll have health and wealth and everything will go your way. Remember chapter 3, verses 11 and 12. Do not despise the trials that God brings into your life. It's not a promise of, of, of ease and prosperity. It's
1: rather a promise that we will live a full life. Health,
0: fame, and success. That's how you get those things. But God says these are the results of getting wisdom. Of learning to live with moral skill and biblical discernment. That's where this life comes from. Go after it, and you will be blessed. Verse
1: 18, where it says that she is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her, those who hold her fast are.
0: An inclusio, it's called. But it starts with blessedness. It ends with blessedness.
1: That's blessedness. And as with the word blessing, do you hear echoes
0: again of the Garden of Eden here? God blessed Adam and Eve, and in that garden was the tree of life. Wisdom is like to you a tree
1: of life. The tree of life. ate it. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil, we remember from Eden, was
0: another tree in the garden. Adam and Eve ate from that tree, so asserting their self-dependence and rebellious insistence of determining what is right and wrong for themselves, against God's counsel. So here, we come back to the delight of Eden as we heed the counsel of God, apply it in our lives, and enjoy the blessedness that God always has intended for His people. It comes from this pursuit of wisdom. And so God's advertisement,
1: as he... Of Scripture, without saying, God is good.
0: He's good. He is good to us. We don't find here a God who wants to take your life away, but a God who labors to give you rich and full life. Is this not what Jesus said as He came? I have come to give them life, life abundantly. That's what He offers. That's who He is. That life though, the key, is not found in the way that our world teaches us to pursue satisfaction and joy. It's found rather only in fellowship with God, in knowing His wisdom. This wisdom from on high is ultimately in the person of Jesus Christ but it's in coming to know His wisdom and walk in fellowship with it that we find this blessedness. That's where the difference is. Not that we have a God who's seeking to restrict us unnecessarily and make our lives hard. But rather, in a God who wants to give us life and knows there's only one way to it. Just as He talked to Adam and Eve in the garden, so He talks to us. There's a way to it. And it's to heed the voice of God. To hear the counsel of God. To reverence His Word. And to live in light of who He is and who He wants us to become. Not defining life for ourselves. That day when Jesus talked to a very wealthy man. And He said to him, Give up all of your wealth. Give
1: it to the poor and come follow me. You remember that? His pocket and
0: Jesus is saying give it up. Hand it away to others and follow me. Now what's Jesus doing there? What Jesus is asking the man to give away is trinkets in exchange for abundant life. He's saying, wow, it's a really hard call. This would be very difficult to do. It is difficult to do if we're thinking the way this world teaches us to think of what value is and what is important. But what all Jesus is rightly asking the man to do is to give up these trinkets for abundant life. If he saw life rightly... That's not a sacrifice. The man was being given the opportunity to find wisdom personified in Jesus himself, and he held on to his wealth. It did not satisfy him before, or he wouldn't have been coming to Jesus and asking these questions.
1: And as he clutched that diamond in his pocket as he walked away, so to speak. I want to give you life. I want you to live it abundantly.
0: There's only one way there, and that's to embrace
1: my wisdom, to reverence the worth of wisdom. In the
0: next section, the Father now explains the indispensable worth of wisdom in God's creative acts. To say it another way, wisdom is of utmost worth to you. Wisdom, have you ever thought of this, is of utmost worth to God. The Lord, verse 19, by wisdom founded the earth, by understanding he established the heavens. So, wisdom is even valuable to God. It was the tool by which He created the heavens and the earth. The stunning complexities of the creative order are devised by wisdom. There's a sense there, there's a rightness and a beauty in this created universe that God used and employed to bring the world about. It's valuable to God Himself. Verse 20, by his knowledge, just a synonym for wisdom, the deeps broke open and the clouds dropped down the dew. Obviously put in a very poetic way, but what is the deeps broke open? This reminded me immediately of the Noahic flood. Genesis seven eleven. the deeps break up. I think the under earth aquifers burst open with water as God destroyed the earth with flood. But when you think in context here, that's really not a destructive theme that's in view. And so I think the deeps broke open is probably more a reference to the creative account in Genesis 1 where God divided the waters from the waters. Remember, immediately upon creation, God creates the heavens and the earth. The universe is there in existence. But on day two, He separates the waters from the waters. The deeps break open. So there's the water on the earth, there's an expanse, and then there's the waters vaporized, I believe, that surround the earth. I think that's what's in view here. That God's creative wisdom separated the waters from the waters in creation. And I think He goes there today too because of the next phrase. The clouds drop down the dew. He's thinking of the watering of the earth that He has created. It's by His wisdom that He continues to water the earth. God's creative powers in the creation are matched by the wonder of His sustaining provision for nature. Now we hear the word do, it doesn't mean a whole lot to us, but for Israel it meant a lot. Israel sees almost no rain during the summer. And it's the winds bringing the waters off of the sea from the west that strike the land. And as, those water, as that is cooled overnight... It lays down a blanket of heavy dew across the land, and it's utterly essential. God's wisdom designs, then, that the heat, and in our setting as we're more familiar with it, He designs that the heat of the sun evaporates the waters from oceans and lakes and rivers. And these in now invisible vapors, as they cool when thrust into the atmosphere, the moisture condenses to form clouds, And then there are driven up from the earth particles of dust and salt. And as those entities cool and drop below the freezing point, the moisture in the clouds condenses around those particles in layer upon layer.
1: God in His wisdom puts all of
0: this. They do a little bit here and there. But God has structured this world so that He will continue to provide through rain in a beautiful, intricate system. It's wisdom that led Him to put this world together is the point. What's said here poetically could be understood scientifically and will be for the rest of our lives as we continue to learn of the wisdom of God in the structure and orientation of the universe. But here's the point. Think of it with what has come before. You've got to know the value of wisdom to you. You can see the value of wisdom to God in His creative genius. Wisdom is to order your life against the structure and orientation of the universe itself to turn away from what god has said from his counsel and from his wisdom is to rage against the universe it's the ultimate insanity but what will happen if we bring our lives in sync with this wisdom We synchronize it. We bring it together. The wisdom that created this universe is a wisdom that can drive and direct our lives and fill it with abundance and joy. Imagine. Wednesday night, I was gathered with some men here in our small group and our task as a church, as the adults gathered here, was to discuss Psalm 19. And one of the questions was, where have you seen the glories of God in creation? We didn't sit there all staring at each other. It was was really enjoyable to share the places where we've seen this glory, this majesty of God in His creative handiwork. The idea here is we put these two sections together is that God builds His house with wisdom. With wisdom He builds the earth, the heavens, the seas, as a habitation in which He displays His glory. Now listen, what God longs to do is to be displaying that glory in the house you build. That is, in the life that you structure, in the way that you live it out, God longs for His glory to be seen in that. We we, we realize we fall infinitely short. But what a wonder this is to know that God longs to display that glory in us. And we, in a sense, are creating our own environment as we build a life and found it on the same wisdom that God founded the universe.
1: Isn't that amazing? It's the same. 13 through 26, we'll continue on and,
0: and move fairly quickly, but what we find here is three distinct sections, perhaps originally even three separate poems. Poem 1 and 3, I, I look at like the arms of a clock. I don't know how to, else to illustrate this, I thought about it, but I, if this helps you. They're like the arms of a clock. Verses 19 and 20, that second poem, are like the center, the hinge on which the arms uh, rotate the center of all of this is God's creative work his genius in putting this world together and calling a people to put their lives together on the basis of this wisdom now on the one hand the one arm of the clock so to speak we've looked at in verses 13 through 18 where there is the appeal of the son to realize the value of wisdom to us as people and the, the hinge the center of of the clock, the hub, here it is that God in His wisdom brings the world into being. Now we look at the other hand and we see that it looks a lot like the first hand. So I think verses 19 and 20 are really the hinge on which everything turns here. But as we come to verses 21 and following, we find the urgent necessity of retaining wisdom's force in our lives. So it sounds a lot like the first verses 13-18. through 18. There's a little bit of a difference here. And in that nuance, I think we find some instruction. The necessity of retaining wisdom's force in our lives. Verse 21, My son, do not lose sight of these. Keep sound wisdom and discretion. So verse 13, what is that section looking at? It's really stressing that we would get and find wisdom. That we'd value it and thus get it and grasp it. Verse 21 now places the stress on once you have it, on keeping it, on maintaining it, holding on to it. So there's a sense in which it's like it's out there and we've got to go get it. We've got to dig in the earth like we're digging for silver and gold and precious jewels. It takes hard work. You have to keep at it, go after it, find it, do whatever it takes to get it. But once you've got it, hold on to it. Stay on the path once you're on it. Keep moral skill and discernment close at hand and the benefits will be reaped. And here, this third section sounds a lot, or the one arm of the clock sounds a lot like the first arm of the clock. Notice what, as God advertises the value of wisdom, He says, the Father, speaking for God, they will be life for your soul, verse 22, an adornment, for your neck. That is, you will be fully alive and your life itself will be beautiful. Verse 23, then you will walk on your way securely and your foot will not stumble. You will walk on your way securely. What does that mean? You won't trip up in life. You'll not make a mess of your life. If you're heeding wisdom, you will not make a mess of your life. You will not be suicidal. You will not live your days in depression. You will not need to douse your anxieties and failures in alcohol. You will not need to find pleasure in illicit drugs. You will not make a wreck of the relationships of your life. The people who surround you, you'll have your enemies as Jesus did, but you'll have many who see the beauty of your life and love you. And appreciate you. You won't ruin your life. You won't be eaten alive by guilt. That's not the life you'll live. Destroyed by guilt. In fact, verse 24, if you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. I realize there are physiological reasons for insomnia, and I realize age has its effect upon being able to sleep, but in view here I think are the fears, anxieties, and guilt that keep people awake at night. You won't deal with that. Even in the extremely vulnerable position of sleep, I mean, when you think about it, it can scare you a little bit. We lay down at night and we check out. We don't know what's going on around us. Even in that most vulnerable position, your soul will be at peace. I can't help but see Jesus here sleeping in the back of the boat in the middle of a storm while the ship's about to sink at peace. Everybody around Him is absolutely anxious, scared to death, and Jesus sleeps. There's nothing to worry about out there. Nothing at all. Nothing from within. Nothing from without. We learn as we place this trust and confidence in God and fear Him that no matter what comes into my life, He's got it covered. I rest. Doesn't Jesus seem almost irritated when the disciples wake Him up and say, Master, we're going to drown here. You might want to wake up. He just, why are you afraid? I I I honestly think if I was a disciple, I'd say, why do you think we're going to drown here? How can you not be scared to death in the middle of this? But this is one who is absolutely possessed by wisdom. And so trust the sovereign hand of God that there is no such thing as danger in this world. He's at utter peace. I long for that peace. I want to get that peace. I want to hold on to it. Well, God offers it to us and says, here it is. We may not attain it in this life fully, but we go after it. So he says... Do not be afraid, verse 25, do not be afraid of sudden terror or of the ruin of the wicked when it comes, for the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. There's really solid reasons from the Hebrew where I think we need to end this poem here, of these three, and this arm of the clock, so to speak, at this point, rather than as the ESV at least seems to do at the end of Verse 27. All that means very little. But your foot will not stumble. Notice verse 23. Your foot will not stumble. Why? Because God Himself will keep your foot from being tripped up. That's Jesus in the boat. I think He just believed that. He put His confidence that God would protect Him and be merciful to Him in all circumstances. The Hebrew, the word translated in the English your confidence, from the Hebrew could be translated, the Lord will be at your side. He'll be right there with you. Yes, it will give you confidence. He will go with you. And if He goes with you, you can be sure you will not fall, you will not slide, and you will pillow your head at night in peace. It's not covering all circumstances. not saying in all situations, that we can necessarily sleep. But it is speaking of a life at ease, at peace in God, that reverences Him and rests not in my ingenuity, but in His grace. I realize it's in a bit of a different context, but you might have heard the last day, right as the uh, Battle of Gettysburg ended, that there was a massive shelling by the south against the northern lines and they they say that the the shells were falling so consistently that many of the northern soldiers in the in the uh, cemetery where they were uh, kind of waiting for this barrage to end slept it was a uh, white noise with capital letters it was so consistent they actually slept through it and i know it's a little different situation but i think in some Measure. That's a picture of the life of Jesus. There were shells going all the time. There were people aiming at him all the time. There were trials and difficulties and heartaches and problems that we can only begin to imagine what he was dealing with, and he rested in God. There's beauty in such a life. I want that kind of life. And God says, I want to give it to you, son. But you've got to hear my voice. You've got to heed my word. You must respect what I say in my counsel. It's quite an advertisement, isn't it? If God was a salesman, He's not. But if He was, He would push us to see the unparalleled worth of wisdom. He's pressing us to get this. At every turn in this book, over and over again, in this way and that, we find our Heavenly Father pleading with us to see the unparalleled worth of wisdom and to take hold of abundant life. In fact, on some level, this book is really challenging to preach through because there's so much repetition. But that repetition needs to be allowed to speak. And we will hear again and again,
1: Get wisdom! Hold on to it. Go after it. Don't give up on it. As He built the universe with skill and with wonder.
0: I think the question then today we've got to ask ourselves is Do I really value wisdom like this? Do I see it as this valuable? Do I get it? Maybe one of the tests would be to talk to, theoretically at least, the unbelievers that surround your life. Those who do not know God. If they were asked, what is he all about? What does she value more than anything else in the world? What are they pursuing as a family? What would the unbelievers surrounding us say? What makes you really tick? What is the thing you're going hard after in this life? What would people who don't know this conversation, what would they say? It might be a real test as to what we're really going after. Would anyone among them answer that person is going after the ways of God. That's a person who's pursuing Jesus Christ. If the lost world looking at us would not say that, then it's probably evidence on some level we've got a lot to to grow and many changes to make. So, we come back here today before the text of Scripture and we are encouraged. Value wisdom. Get it. Hold on to it. Know that any other path leads to disaster and ultimately destruction. While on that path, God promises great reward. We can't go this way if we don't see the road. And so we're told and instructed again and again. We've said very little in this sermon about how to get it. God is an advertiser by nature. He created the universe in order to make creatures to know He could display, to know He made it so that He could display His glory to His creatures, His wisdom, His glory, His wonder. The ultimate exegete The ultimate revelation, the ultimate image of this glory and wisdom is not the sunset. It's not the forest in full foliage at fall time with all its beautiful colors. It's not the wonderful lakes that we enjoy around here or the sea or the mountains. The ultimate revelation of this wisdom is the Lord Jesus Christ. In him God revealed what wisdom is, for he himself is wisdom. You see, wisdom was with God in the beginning and the agent used to create the world. This wisdom is ultimately personified in Jesus Christ. And the ultimate wisdom, the ultimate call of obedience from God to us is to come to know that this Son was sent. God in flesh to this world to die, to pay the penalty of our sin, to rise from the dead. So defeat death. And in this way, Jesus is the tree of life. We eat of Him And we will never die. We repent of our sin in our way and my own foolish selfishness and we trust this good news. And that is the beginning of wisdom. He is the beginning of wisdom. Wisdom is not merely a way of life. Ultimately, it is a relationship with one who is the way of life. And so by God's grace, little by little, as He conforms us into the likeness of His Son, we display the wonder and the abundance of the life that God gives us in Christ. We become an advertisement. Our lives our lives, become an advertisement of the glories of a life of wisdom through faith in Jesus Christ. That life does not look like a life that's untouched by trial. It's a life that deals with trial and relationships and money and death and everything in between in a way that pleases God, that accords with His counsel and that rests in the wisdom of Jesus Christ crucified and risen. It's in that life that we begin to see the beauty and the glory of God displayed for his honor, and for our eternal happiness. Let's bow together. As we close, Father, I pray that you will do a unique work within us. There's junk in our lives that needs to be cleaned out. There are changes that need to be made. There is a focus on what matters that we must face. And I pray that You do that unique work within us here in this hour, in this time together, drawing to Christ those who know not Him as Savior to find their wisdom in Him and for those who have met Him to
1: rejoice together in this great worth, this great value.